Now we've been spending our Sunday mornings this summer in the Psalms. And this morning's Psalm is Psalm 56. You'll find it on page 476 in the Pew Bible. So if you haven't already, please take out your Bible or the Pew Bible below the seat in front of you and turn to Psalm 56, 476 in the Pew Bible. Now, as mentioned in previous sermons, the Psalms can be categorized into five basic groups. Lament, thanksgiving, praise, wisdom, and royal or messianic psalms. However, a case can often be made that that a psalm can fit into many of these categories, and this is true of Psalm 56. Now, it's first and foremost a a psalm of lament, recording the, the pleas of a believer crying out to God for help, and yet it's a psalm that's full of wisdom because it helps us see how to move from fear to faith, and it's a psalm that ends with heartfelt praise to God. So it's got these three elements to it. In the inscription before Psalm 56, we're given the author and the situation that inspired the psalm. We're told that David wrote this psalm after he was seized by the Philistines in Gath, the details of which are recorded for us in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. And from 1 Samuel, we learn that David went to Gath to flee from King Saul. If you know the story, David is anointed the next king of Israel, but there's a big problem. There's already a king of Israel, and David is not that king's son. And anytime this happens where there's a reigning king, an anointed king, well, even if they're family, sometimes there's some drama there, and this was the case between Saul and David. In fact, Saul had come to the place where he wanted to kill David. He saw him as a threat. He wanted to stay on the throne. He wanted his descendants to to remain on the throne of Israel. And so he he began to pursue David in hopes of killing David. And so David flees to a priest. And there uh, the priest says, "I, I have just some bread. So he takes some bread and he gives him Goliath's sword because David had just recently killed Goliath and the priest had taken the sword for safekeeping. And, and David flees from there because the priest can't protect him. And he he decides to go to a place named Gath, a city called Gath, and that was part of the Philistines. This city was the very same hometown of Goliath. And so David flees from Saul to Gath, to the very hometown of a man, a hero in in Philistia uh, that that he he killed. So I I guess he's expecting that when he gets to Gath, the people say, whoa, that's the guy that killed David. (laughs) He's a hero. He's a a mighty warrior. Let's receive him. Let's let's welcome him. Well, that's not what happened. What happened was that the people said he killed Goliath, our, our hero. We don't want him here. And so he was put under house arrest, seized by the, by the Philistines. And, and then the, the people, the counselors of the, of the king of Gath and, and the, the city began to contemplate what to do. And then they began to speak to the king and, and tell them what they thought they should do with David. And they wanted to kill David. And so it's, it's this psalm that captures David's fear of man during that time in his life. So let's now hear from God by reading Psalm 56, which is God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. 
put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. This is God's word for his people. May we hear it, believe it, and obey it. And now let's pray for his help. O great God, who we have gathered in this place to worship and praise, every single time we, your people, consider this reality, that you, the the maker and creator and sustainer and savior of his people, though you need nothing, you lack nothing, have made it so that we can know you and commune with you. Oh, what a joy, what a delight. How amazing that thought is. It never gets old. You, the triune God, have decided that we who were made in your image, who rebelled against your law, who broke it, get to know you and delight in you. Oh, it's, it's such a joy to consider that thought. And yet we confess this morning that in the past week, month, year, though we have heard the gospel, though we believe the gospel, we have sinned against you, against others, against your people. There have been times where we have, we have rejected your way for our way, and so we confess that we have sinned. And at the same time, as people of the book, of uh, people who believe and rejoice in the gospel, we confess that Jesus and Jesus alone has paid the price for our sin past, present, and future. So we confess our sin and we confess our Savior together this morning that he has paid the price, the ransom. He has delivered us from our sins and reconciled us to you. God, we give you thanks for the many blessings that you have poured out to us. Sometimes we don't see them. Sometimes we don't fully enjoy them as we should, but you have given us air, you have given us food, you have given us freedoms, you have given us this life, you have given us your word, you have given us your son. Oh, you are a giving God, and we give you thanks for all that you have generously given to us. Rather than pouring out your wrath on us, you have poured out your grace. And so we praise you today and give you thanks for all that you have done. We ask, Father, that you would be with those who have come to this place in fear, whether it's the fear of man or some other fear that they are overwhelmed by, that you would, by the power of your word and spirit, give hope where there is only despair, joy where there is sorrow, peace where there is war. Father, we come to you because you are a helper, that you are the only one that we can turn to in our time of need. And so we cry out to you for help. I pray, Lord, that you would take this passage, this psalm from your word, and you would apply it to each heart, to each life in this place. Where I don't make connections, you would overcome my deficiencies as a preacher, and you would make the connections in people's minds and hearts of how this passage, this psalm, applies to their own life. Give faith where it is lacking or non-existent. Give, Give strength where there is weakness and hope, Father, to us. We pray all of this. In the mighty, glorious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In verse 4 and 11, David asks the, the same question. What can flesh, what can man do to me? And having read through the psalm, we should come to this conclusion. 
a lot. Man, woman, flesh can do a lot to you, David. In verse 1 we read, Man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. And to be trampled and oppressed by an attacker is bad enough. But, but to drive home the point even further of how difficult this experience was, in verse 2 David gives us a clear description of the situation. The trampling that he's experiencing from his attackers is unrelenting. Never ending. It's all day long. The people opposing David don't give him time to rest, to catch his breath, to recover from their attacks. And those who are attacking him are not ashamed of their actions. In fact, they're, they're proud of what they're doing to him. They're pleased by the hurt that they're causing him. They're taking pleasure in his pain. They've taken pride in making him suffer. Their trampling has become like a badge of honor. It's, it's, it's now patriotic in Gath to attack, to slander, to oppose David. And so everybody's jumping on that bandwagon. In verses 5 and 6, David says his attackers in, injure his cause. All their thoughts are against him for evil. That these people who oppose him are stirring up strife. That, that is, they're getting other people, more and more people, to oppose him. It's not just that they hate him, it's that the hate is expanding, it's moving out. The whole, the whole city is now against him. These people are lurking around. He's under house arrest, he's in this place, and there's just people watching every single step that he takes, waiting for an opportunity. Maybe they're, they're, they're taking notes on what he's doing so that they can plan his death. And all of this gives us a sense of David's desperate situation. People were plotting how they could hurt him and making it their mission to get rid of him, to kill him. Though you may not have ever experienced the same intensity of an attack like this from people, it's likely that you can relate in some way, shape, or form to what David describes here. Maybe you were bullied in school by, by someone who openly bragged to others about the pain that they caused you, and you felt as though it would never end. Or you were abused in some way by a family member, a neighbor, or someone you thought was a friend who, who took pleasure in hurting you. Or maybe you have had or you currently have a boss or a coworker, a teacher, a professor, a neighbor, a family member who has made it their goal, their mission to hurt you, to destroy your reputation, to cause pain and heartache. But even if you haven't personally experienced anything like this, and I hope you don't, but, it, but I think if you live long enough, you will, if you're familiar with human history, if you watch the news, if you read the paper, if you talk to people, you know that we humans are capable of doing great damage like this to one another. One recent example of this has lingered with me for the past week. While on vacation last week, I read an article about a 16-year-old Washington state boy who was lured into the woods for what he thought was going to be a camping trip with his friend, only to be brutally assaulted and tortured by his friend and his friend's older brother, and then stoned to death. Whatever their motive was, these two brothers had, had been plotting for some time their evil acts in order to torture and then murder this young man. It's another terribly sad reminder that man or woman, that flesh, can do a lot of things to you. They can lie, they can steal, they can torment, they can abuse, they can assault. People can even kill you. And it was experiencing this reality that caused David to write Psalm 56. Because of what man can do, David was afraid. And if we're being honest, sometimes because of what people can do to us or are capable of doing to us, we are afraid too. 
But in this psalm, David doesn't just stop there. His, his purpose in writing Psalm 56 is not to merely be another voice informing us that, that people can and will sometimes seek to attack or hurt us. In this psalm, David shows us how he moved from fearing man to trusting God. And in doing so, he teaches us, church, us who believe the gospel, us who trust in Jesus Christ for, for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our souls, how we can fight the fear of man or any fear with faith in God. See, this applies to all fear. And, and if we're being honest, and again, we should, we should be honest when we come to the scriptures, we, we can be dominated by fear. If it's not the fear of, of you yourself being hurt by man, you're, you're somebody hurting your children or your spouse or, or somebody hurting the church or, or somebody abandoning the gospel who seems to be right on the edge of, of determining whether they're, they're going to follow Christ or, or follow the world. There's, there's fear there that can dominate us. Well, this is a psalm given to us by God through David to help us move from fear to faith, from despair to hope in God. To truly and honestly move from being overwhelmed by fear of man to trusting in God, well, it's a process. And in fact, it can almost feel like we're a yo-yo if we look at the, the, the Christian life. Here I am trusting God. No fear has got a grip on my heart. And then all of a sudden, I'm in despair. There's, there's a fear that has set in. So we're bouncing back and forth, it can seem like, between fear and faith. Trusting in God and, and knowing, in his, knowing that he is good and, and, and he's, he's caring for us to, I don't know what's going to happen and I'm, I'm afraid and it's overwhelming. So we, we can be like a yo-yo going back and forth between fear and faith. And you don't just decide in the midst of being overwhelmed by fear to stop being afraid. As if the people who are seeking to harm you or that fear doesn't exist. You don't just act as if they, they can't hurt you or this fear is just going to go away on its own. God's word does not teach us to deny the reality of, of evil or the harm that people can cause us. In fact, the Bible teaches us that humans are not born mostly good, but we're all born fallen and sinful and capable of doing great evil. What this psalm teaches us then is that we will need to work, strive, press on through the fear to trust in God. And that's what David does in this psalm. He, he works through his fear to trust in God. And, and so we're going to follow David's route, his path from fear to faith. Learn from him the path so that when we are overwhelmed by fear or, or a brother or sister in Christ is overwhelmed by fear, we can help them. We can step into that fear and, and walk with them. Not pretending like it isn't there. Not pretending as if the, the walls don't feel like they're closing in and, and there's no hope. Not pretending like that's not there, but, but stepping into that and helping them walk the walk of faith. We want to learn from David the path so that we can follow him. The same path that David traveled, we need to travel. And I think it's really helpful to remember that this is a psalm from a man who knows that it's hard to move from fear to faith. It's, it's a psalm from a man who struggled, who, who, like us, sometimes took a while to get to the place where he was trusting God with his life. In fact, I believe that David wrote this psalm sometime after his experience in Gath. He wasn't writing this psalm as he was under house arrest. And, and I believe that in part because if you read through 1 Samuel 21 and 22, you see that the way that David on a human level escaped with his life from Gath is that he pretended to be insane. So he, he, he began to write things on the doors and the gates that, that made people think he was strange. Something, something was wrong with him. And then he, he would spit and allow the, the, the spittle to catch on his beard and he would just leave it there. 
And the reason why he did that is because he knew that there was this superstitious practice that, that if you killed somebody who was insane, well, then you would be cursed. And so, so that's what he did. He pretended to be insane to avoid being killed. And rather than, than be cursed, the king of Gath let him go. And so while he's working through this later on, he, he's thinking, how, how do you navigate fear? Not as he's in it, not as if he's a hero of the faith who never struggled. No, everybody, apart from Christ, failed at different times in trusting and following God. And David was one of them. And so in David, we have, brothers and sisters, a, a, a sympathetic God showing us the way from fearing man to trusting God who, who can relate to us and we can relate to. Well, David gives us two very helpful steps in this psalm to help us travel the path away from fearing man to the place where we who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ want to be, the place where we're able to say to God what David says in verse 3, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And I love that. And, and I really do believe there's, there's two steps in this psalm. I love that there's two steps because when, when fear has a grip on you, when, when you're overwhelmed by fear, if somebody gives you 10 things to do, that can be overwhelming. You're already overwhelmed by fear. Now you want me to do 10 things? Well, God's word is clear. It is helpful and it is simple. And here in this psalm, we see that there's two steps out of fear and towards faith. The first step from fearing man to trusting God is that we need to remember who God is. And we find this in verses seven and eight. For their crime will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Church, if we're going to trust God when we're struggling with the fear of man or any other fear, it's essential that we are remembering who God is. But when we're overwhelmed by the fear of man, we forget who God is. Now, by forget, I don't mean that all of a sudden we don't remember that God exists or that, uh, that he is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. We, we don't forget all of a sudden that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh, became a man in order to rescue sinners who trust in him by making atonement for our sin through the cross. It's not that the fear of man causes us to actually, truly, completely forget who God is. It's that the fear of man causes the bigness and the greatness of God to, to move into the background of our mind and heart so that all we see and what guides our emotions is the man, the woman, or the people, or the fear that has gotten a grip over us. When this happens, it's as though the fear of man has become like a hand over our eyes, blocking us from seeing the glory and goodness of God. Now, God has not disappeared. God has not changed. God's glory has not shrunk when people attack us. God is still the same. He's, he's awesome. He's big. He's holy. He's glorious. He's God. The believer knows this deep down, but when we're overwhelmed with fear, any type of fear, it can be difficult to see the connection between our struggle, that trial, that fear, and God. It's as if a hand is covering our eyes. Well, in these verses, David remembers two especially important truths about God that, that help to remove the hand that fear has put over our eyes. Loosen the grip, begin to peel the fingers back so we can see once again the greatness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the love of God. David remembers that God is omnipotent. That is, he is all-powerful. And that God is omniscient. That is, God knows and he sees all things. 
God's omnipotence means that those who do evil, who seek to physically, emotionally, sexually, or spiritually torment others, who, as David describes in this psalm, seek to trample or oppress or attack, injure and murder, who are out to harm God's people, will not escape God's judgment. Though David's enemies at that time seemed to have all the power and they they seem to be getting away with their crimes, judgment is coming in this life and in the next life. No one can escape the just and holy wrath of an omnipotent God. This reality of God's omnipotence comforted David and it can comfort us too because it means that justice will be served. No one will get away with tormenting God's people. At the same time, even as we Christians cry out for justice, we need to remember the gospel. We need to remember that we have all sinned against God and others, that we have hurt people, that some of us have been the ones who trampled, who oppressed, who caused people, even God's people, to fear. And that it is only because of God's grace that we will not receive God's wrath. That it is not because we have been good enough, we have been nice enough to other other people, we've been a a good enough neighbor, a coworker, a friend, It is only because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless, righteous life on our behalf and endure an unjust, brutal death in our place so that we who have sinned, we who have done evil, we who have been the attackers and the hurters could be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to God. We need to have this in mind because it brings a a biblical balance to our calls for justice. All people, whether they have hurt us or not, will either endure God's wrath against their sin now and forever, or Christ has endured it for them at the cross. And so we who have been forgiven should pray for those who persecute us. Scripture commands us to. We who are afraid of and and hope that God, God rescues us are to be praying that God would grant those who are hurting us, who are opposing us, who are attacking us, even on a global level, those who who seek to do our country harm. We we need to be praying that God grants them repentance and faith. Scriptures call us to do this. Justice will be done to those who harm us and cause us fear. As Romans 9.22 and 23 describes it, there are going to be vessels of wrath prepared for destruction for God's glory. Some of those who oppose God's people will not repent. They will not turn away and trust in Jesus Christ and they will be vessels of wrath that God has prepared for destruction. But others of them, like us, will become vessels of mercy, trophies of God's grace, saved by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They will join us in worshiping and praising God. Paul himself is an example of this once a persecutor of the church, once there cheering on the the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr of the church, repents and believes the gospel and becomes a martyr himself. Some who hate you, who oppose you, who, who seek to do you harm, Christian, are going to be brothers and sisters in Christ someday. And so pray for that. The second truth about God that David refers to His omniscience guarantees not only that justice will be served because God does not miss any of the details and knows all things. This is not like a human court of law where where they can get the judgment wrong, where where a a judge can can give an unjust verdict, where the lawyer misses something and and doesn't do a good job to defend, where the prosecutor uh, doesn't do his job. No, no, God sees all things. He is the jury. He is the judge. No fact, no detail is missed. But God's omniscience here provides something more. It means that the mighty, all-powerful God of the universe, 
who spoke creation into existence, knows what his people are going through. And he sees it all. And not only does he see it, but he cares. David writes in verse 8, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? It's this intimate language that reminds us of the relationship that we who are in Christ have with God all the time. Even when things aren't going good, even when fear has taken a grip over our hearts, God cares, he longs to to provide what we need, and he will give us all that we need. He's a personal God. David goes on to write, are these things not in your book? Charles Spurgeon, commenting on this verse, wrote, We perhaps are so confused after a long course of trouble that we hardly know where we have or where we have not been. But God remembers all in detail, for he has counted them over as people count their gold. For even the trial of our faith is precious in his sight. When a parent sees their child in fear, what do they want to do? They want to run to their child and comfort them. We want to wrap our arms around them and wipe away their tears and and take away their fear. I've experienced this many times as a father of four young children. Fear settles into my my son's heart and and I want to be there. And and if he's crying, I want to wipe away the tears. Well, Well, God does something else. He collects them. He knows where they're coming from. He knows the emotion. And our Heavenly Father cares for his children. He cares for for his children infinitely more than the greatest earthly father that has ever lived. And David knows this. He trusts that God will capture the tears that he's crying in fear of man and that he will put them in a bottle and not just any bottle, but his bottle. A reference to God being there with David in his pain. God's omniscience means that more than more than just recording the facts of our suffering, God sees the depth and the heartache of the pain that people are causing us. David is remembering, and we must too, when fear of man or any fear overwhelms us, that the God of the Bible, the God that we Christians believe in and are seeking to trust in, even when we are overwhelmed by fear of man, is a personal God who is at work in our lives. Our God is not like an absent father who sends his child child support when it's convenient, when he has some some extra cash. Our God is a present father who helps us in our time of trouble, always there with us, never leaving our side. And this is why, church, it's so important for us to know and reflect on the attributes of God. We need to know who God truly is. We need to learn about God's sovereignty in all things, from creation to salvation, even over our suffering. Because then we have a category, a a paradigm, a, a biblical lens to see what's going on in our lives through. Otherwise, we're just tossing, and we're just tossing with the wind and, and the waves of, of life. Oh, I feel this. Now this is true about God. I feel this. Now this is true. Now I'm doing good, so God is good. Now I'm not. No, no, no. We, we come to the scriptures, and we need to remember and know who God is, his attributes, that he's over all things, even our suffering. He's at work, refining our faith, making us know how good and, and, and precious the gospel is. We need to know of God's holiness, that, that he, he cannot coexist with sin. His goodness, that nothing he does is wrong ever. His love, that he is the most loving of all. His power, 
that he can change and do whatever he wants. His grace, that though we deserve his wrath, his wrath he has poured out his grace upon us. His wisdom in, in creation. John preached on this and how uh, the wonders of creation. We considered that last week in, in, the, in the psalm. I mean, look at God's wisdom everywhere. We need to be considering his glory because as we learn and reflect on who God is, our faith is reassured. As I consider the, the reality of God and, and who he is and his attributes, and then I wrestle with fear, and I struggle with fear at times. Uh, uh, something's going to happen to my wife, Amy. Something's going to happen to my children. Something's going to happen to the church. Somebody's going to wander from, from not just this church and, and leave this church, but the gospel and abandon Christ. There, there's fears that come and settle in. And how do I combat them? Not from, from drawing up enough strength within, but from remembering who God is, that he is over all, that he sees all, that he's at work in this. I can't figure it out all the time. I'm feeling certain things, but, but here's God in all of his glory, his sovereignty, his mercy, his love. And as we ponder who God is, well, our, our faith is strengthened. That's the first step, remembering who God is. And the second step, away from the fear of man and towards trusting God, is to draw near to God. At first, I, I, I summarized the step two as, as commune with God, but that, that didn't capture it enough. But, but the struggle with, with me for draw near to God is I picture my boy saying, draw near to God. You, Dad, you want me to draw pictures when I get close to God? Like, is, is that what you mean? No, no. What I mean is getting closer to God. You're tempted when you're overwhelmed by fear to, to draw back, to stop coming to church, to, to, to draw away from community. To, to pull away from the, the very people that you need to, to be around because they're going to tell you the gospel. They're going to remind you of God's love and faithfulness. And so, so when that temptation comes in the midst of fear, you need to draw near to God, move closer to him. After first pointing us to Christ, the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the next crucial step away from fear and towards trusting God because if we're overwhelmed by fear, isolation and loneliness will set in. We begin to feel as though everyone is against us and no one is for us, that no one is on our side, that we're on a team, but it's just, just us, just, just one person on that team and the, the whole world is on the other team that's opposing us. We begin to feel that, that no one cares about us, that, that no one loves us. And David experienced this very thing in Gath. He had been seized. Everyone around him hated him. He had no people on his side. Everywhere he looked, he saw people who wanted him to suffer and then die. David was surrounded by people, yet he was all alone. And I know some of you have experienced this, even as Christians. Melancholy, depression sets in. You're with God's people, but you feel like you're all alone. And it's a, it's a difficult place to be. Well, David can relate to you. No one supported him. No one came to his defense. No one argued his case to the king of Gath, who was deciding whether he would live or die. And here in verses 9 and 10, as he reflects on, on his struggles with the fear of man during his time in Gath, he tells us of the importance of drawing near to God. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call this I know that God is for me, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. He's just laid out what's going on, what was happening at the time. And now he says, when I call, this I know that God is for me. 
in God whose word I praise and the Lord whose word I praise. To call out to God is to, to pray a prayer of supplication. It's to draw near to God for his help. Once we remember who God is, that he is all-powerful and that he's all-knowing, that, that he is for those who trust in him, well, then we can and we will call out to him in prayer. And as we share our fear of man with God, as we call out to him for help, we remember that we're actually not alone. We might feel alone, but we're not alone. That the omnipotent and omniscient God of the universe is with us and he is for us. When this happens, the, the glorious realities of the gospel begin to make their way deeper and deeper into our hearts, helping us to trust in God more and more and fear man less and less. This is the process. This is how we do it. Like, like this reality, that the God who made us is on our side, which doesn't mean that, that we're always right. That doesn't mean that we're always right. Or that everybody who opposes us is wrong or possessed by a demon. But that's not what that means. It means that even when we don't know what's going on, even when we feel like we're being attacked and we're not actually being attacked, we're being corrected or rebuked or God is at work to, to humble us, whatever's going on, God is always for us in that situation. He's never saying, you know what, I'm going to just leave them alone in this one and let them figure it out on their own and hopefully they'll come out of this on the, the right end of things. Even when we're wrong, God is on our side working for our good. And then there's the reality that God who owns everything and needs nothing values us, cares about us. He loves us. Christian, let this never, ever get old to you. Yes, the same God who spoke it all into existence, who, who's over all things, who's sovereign over everything, who needs nothing, cares for you and loves you. And how do you know that? He proved it by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to go to the cross, to redeem you, to pay for your sin, reconcile you to him, adopt you into his family so that you would forever and ever and ever be with him. That God loves you that much. That's awesome. And so prayer is a weapon against fear and a means by which we draw near to God. Prayer reminds us that whatever we feel like, we're not alone. God exists and he's not abandoned or forsaken us. He is our defense. We have one who pleads our case. His name is Jesus Christ. He's pleading our case. And because of Christ, whatever happens to our body, and apart from his return, it's going to expire, it's going to die. Well, one day, because of Christ, we will be raised from the dead in glory, just like Jesus was. And how do we know all these things? How do we know because of God's word, which is why in these verses, David praises God's word. Through God's word, we're able to draw near to the Lord and move from fearing man to trusting God. For it is in and through God's word that we learn the truths that help us to conquer fear and strengthen our faith. David only had the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. That, that was his Bible. We have the completed full revelation of God to man in the 66 books of the Bible that we have. We have 61 more books than David had. He came to the same truths, but, but we have more than, than what he had. And so from these books, God's word, we learn glorious truths like this. God will never leave or forsake the true Christian. Hebrews 13, 5. That's for you, Christian. You might feel like he left you, like he's forsaken you, abandoned you. Well, God's word says he hasn't. He will never leave or forsake the true Christian. Hebrews 13, 5. From God's word, we know that he loves us. You can go to passage after passage. You can just go to John 3, 16, maybe the most famous passage. 
God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He loves you, Christian. And from God's word, we can be sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans 8, 38 and 39, the whole chapter is just boom. Awesome. Great truths in Romans 8. I often go to this passage when, when fear has settled into my heart because, because I love the fact that, that, that it reminds us that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What does that include? Every fear? Every single person that might be attacking or opposing you? Somebody who does you harm? They cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And what else is included in, that, in, in creation? Me and you. If you are in Christ, you can't even separate yourself from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And for the one who has been gripped by fear, maybe is overwhelmed by fear, afraid of loss, who has just experienced loss and fear settles in even more, brother, sister, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that's given to you in his word. Notice that both times David says in the psalm that he will not be afraid and he will put, he will put his trust in God. He refers to God's word. We see this in verses 3 and 4 and in verses 10 and 11. This is because true saving faith in God is not a blind faith. It's not merely an emotion. You know what? I need, I need a crutch. So I'm going to look around, look at all the different religions, and then settle on Christianity. And I have some history there because I have some family lineage, some people that, that went to church before I was born. And so I'll just kind of settle there, and that's my crutch. No, no, that's not true, genuine faith. It's not a blind faith. It's grounded in the Bible, in who God has revealed himself to be, and in what God has promised to us in the Bible. Because as one theologian puts it, a Christian is someone who believes God's word and on its authority, trust God to be his savior. That's what a Christian is, someone who believes God's word and on its authority, trusts God to be his savior. Christian, when fear of man or any other fear temporarily blinds you and has a grip on your heart, the way that, that you need to move from that fear to trust in God is, is not by telling yourself to not be scared. To, to, to like a, a little child, just kind of cover up and pretend that, that it's going to go away if, if you just hide yourself. It's not to pretend as though you're not afraid. It's not to be stoic and say, you know what, you know, God's word says I shouldn't be afraid, so I'm not going to be afraid. That, that's not how you do this. The way forward is to open your Bible and hear from God and then believe in who God says he is and what he has promised to you in the Bible to trust him and his word. There's, there's no shortcuts. Church, in this psalm, David has given us two steps to travel the path from fearing man to trusting God. And it applies to all types of fear. You can, you can travel this path, this route. Any, any fear that comes, you take this path. There's no fast forward button though. And we want that, don't we? When, when fear settles in and you're a Christian, you've kind of gone through that yo-yoing back and forth. Here it is again. I didn't expect this. I don't know where it came. I read an article. I'm on vacation. It, you know, I'm supposed to be relaxed and I read an article and fear begins to settle in. How do I get out of that? I want to just hit the fast forward button, get outside, go fishing with, with one of my sons and enjoy this and, and get over it that way. But, but no, it, it, it didn't go away that way. You have to press into this and follow the same path. There's no hidden passageways out of fear and into trusting God. When fear sets in, we, we must remember who God is. And, and that's what I did in this, this momentary fear 
What if that was my 16-year-old son? That's just one story. You read the paper, you, you watch the news, they're all over the place. And you start to, you, you start to have, have empathy for these people. You, you start to put yourself in those situations. The fear comes. How do, you, how do you work through that? You don't want to just dismiss it because you should grieve for that, that person, that family, that situation, whether it's in North Korea or in Thailand with, the, with what's going on with the, the, the soccer team in the caves. You, you should emotionally be affected. You don't want to just get over that. But how do you work through that in a biblical manner? You need to remember who God is, Christian, and draw near to God in prayer and with his word. Now, at times, it's going to seem that you're losing the battle, that the, the, the fight is, is almost done and, and you're going to lose, that, that your faith is being defeated by fear. But, but here's the thing, and it's so good. It's so good. Genuine saving faith in Christ is a gift from God, and he doesn't take it back. It cannot entirely be extinguished or put out, true saving faith. And in the end, true faith from God will have the victory. The 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith summarizes this truth well. It states, This faith may exist in varying degrees, so that it may be either weak or strong. We know that. Sometimes we're weak in faith, sometimes we're strong. Yet even in its weakest form, it is different in kind or nature, like all other saving graces, from the faith and common grace of temporary believers. That's false Christians. Therefore, faith may often be attacked and weakened, but it gains the victory. It matures in many to the point that they attain full assurance through Christ, who is both the founder and perfecter of our faith. Even that last sentence captures the movement in Psalm 56. It matures. It, it fights the fight of faith. And through that, we can attain assurance through Christ. Now, what's going to happen when our faith in God overcomes the fear of man? What will be the outcome, the fruit, the evidence, a mark of this? Well, we find the answer in the last two verses of this morning's psalm. I must perform my vows to you, O God, I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. David was delivered and rescued from despair. And now, what does he want to do? He, wanna, he wants to give thanks to God. He can't wait to go to the tabernacle to make an offering of thanks to God. This is the outcome, the fruit, the evidence, one of the marks of trusting in God, gratitude and thankfulness to God. A humble heart that recognizes God as our deliverer, as the one who has rescued us from death so that we can walk before God in the light of life. You know, sometimes I've talked with non-Christians and even sadly some Christians who say, why do you, why do you like going to church? Why do, why do you enjoy being with other Christians? Yes, I can praise and give thanks to, to God in my car while I listen to worship music. I can give thanks to God, and, and we do as a family at home, you know, throughout the day and, and before we eat and, and at night. We can give thanks to God, and, but this, this aspect of corporate thanks, thanksgiving to God, where we gather together and we, we thank God, it's the natural overflow of a heart that knows it's been delivered from death. This is, this is the fruit of deliverance giving thanks to God. If you truly understand the gospel and you believe it, this is somewhere in your heart all the time. See, if you're a Christian, though God has not promised that no one will ever hurt you because he hasn't, he's promised that you will have trouble in the world. He's not promised that you will never be attacked, trampled, or oppressed, be a victim of, of somebody's sin. 
Here's the reality. Because of the gospel, because you have repented of your sin and are trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, verse 13 is always, always, always true of you. God has delivered your soul from eternal death. And because of Jesus Christ, you will walk before God in the light of life for all of eternity. David wrote that. We get it fully. We've experienced to a greater degree in this life. Verse 13. And so even in times when fear begins to set in and we're battling to trust God, we can give thanks and rest in this gospel reality. Whatever comes in this life, good or bad, God has delivered our souls and promises us eternal life. Friends, there will be times when I believe it's appropriate to have a fear of man. It's right to, to fear man when you're being attacked, when, when, when opposition comes, when people are opposing you and you're struggling with it. But when the fear of man begins to overwhelm us, well, we must walk the same path that David walked and, and overcome our own fear with faith. Trusting in God who he is and what his word says. In Jesus Christ who died and rose and now forever reigns over all and that includes those who oppose him and his people. So today, if you have been overwhelmed by fear, fear of man or any other fear, you need to look to Psalm 56. See it like a map, a spiritual map and follow the sure path that, that it will lead you on from fear to trusting God, from despair to hope. This is the path we need to be on, church. And sometimes we will be feeling like that yo-yo, but this is the path forward. May God give us all the strength, the wisdom, and the faith to walk the path from fearing man to trusting God, for it brings him great glory. It shows the world and one another that we are treasuring Christ above all. Let's pray. God, we especially pray this morning for our brothers and sisters in this church who are struggling with fear, whether it be the fear of man, the fear of death, the, the fear of loss, whatever fear it might be. We pray, Father, that your word would do the work that is needed in their hearts, that you would remind them of who you are, of your omnipotence, your omniscience, your love, your mercy, your grace, of your glory, and that in remembering who you are, they would draw near to you in prayer and through your word. That the truths that were proclaimed in song, in prayer, and through the preaching of your word would settle down deeper into our brothers' and sisters' hearts who are overwhelmed with fear. And that they would walk the path that we find set before us in Psalm 56. And Father, to, to some degree even more, or at least equally, we pray for those in this place who are not trusting in Christ who have nowhere to turn but towards themselves. Family members, friends, neighbors, people that have wandered in here for whatever reason, ultimately it's you that brought them into this place, who have no hope in Christ. Father, open their eyes to see their need for Jesus Christ and his greatness and what he's accomplished in his death and resurrection, what you provide for those who repent and trust in him so that they would join us in praising you and that they would have hope when they are overwhelmed by fear. We pray these things asking you, our helper, our great God who loves and draws near to those who call out to him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.